0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the AltMed podcast. Andrew Dowling here with me as always, my trusty co-host, Mitch Kurtz. Howdy. Um, I try. Had a shave? Actually, (laughs) ostensibly, no, you haven't. Um, No, I haven't. uh, Total eyesight. And we are delighted. We have a very special guest with us today, the co-founder and managing director of Heyday. It is none other than Phoebe McLeod. Phoebe, welcome to the show
1: hey guys thank you for having me
0: uh, it's our pleasure um very glad to um to have you here. i know we've got a lot of areas that we furiously agree on so i'm really looking forward i know to,
1: uh, it's <laughs> gonna be a good chat <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> um so yeah we might start just by finding out uh, so how did you fall into medical cannabis because everyone's got their own story of how they fell into this space what's yours
1: Yeah, and it's often quite personal and I think it is for me too. So um, I'm an intellectual property lawyer um, by training and have been working for a big medical research organisation, the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, for the last seven years prior to going on maternity leave in early 2020 to have my second baby boy Um, and was very happily um, Working away there, um, loved working at a big not-for-profit medical research organization. I was the head of legal and also co-led the business development team and spent a lot of time, um, you know, protecting the IP and finding ways to commercialize Um, the great research coming out of the Institute that had an application in digital health. So we built concussion recognition tools for parents to recognise the symptoms of concussion on the sidelines of the footy field with the AFL. We used Xbox Connect to measure upper limb impairment in kids with cerebral palsy. So it was a really fun fun space and I think I did a lot of, you know, licensing and um, had a lot of commercial experience on top of just managing the legals there, which was big So I managed a team of four lawyers. And um, the MCRI has a, like, deep history in genetics research, and I did my major in genetics. as part of my science law degree. So it's a great fit for me. was not looking to move, was on a good wicket. Um, But, you know, life takes its turn. So three months into my mat leave, um, my mum, Jim and my mum, got diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer, horrible one you know seven percent survival rate and and mum wasn't in that seven percent but it just you know um flawed us um but during that time you know mum got diagnosed and three days later was starting pretty heavy chemotherapy and and during that time my sister Thea came over from Tassie and my brother Jim who's a well-known sort of cannabis GP and has been in cannabis the cannabis space for sort of four years now treating patients, um, came down and and was with us for some time. And, you know, the chemo side effects really ramped up pretty quickly and Jim quickly um, got mum on a whole range of um, cannabis products. So mum was on a range of oils, um, vaporising flour, we were making topicals, we were making edibles. And, you know, it went from her being just, unable to sort of have much quality of life to really getting her groove back in those three months of pretty intense chemo so we kind of got mum back in a sense she was sleeping and eating and um, you know couldn't believe that she was the only person in the chemo ward putting on weight (laughs) Um, and you know I think just seeing it firsthand like Jim had obviously been banging on about it for quite a while and and just you know really raving about how therapeutically potent it was for a whole range of patients you know at that stage it probably treated about 700 patients already and I'd been just before I left work um, you know working on the whole legal side of doing the first um, paediatric clinical trial of kids with epilepsy at the Royal Children's Hospital so working with the ethics committee um, like experiencing all that stigma from a tertiary institution firsthand and um, you know which prompted me to dive into the legalities and just seeing how this medicine came to be accessible, like completely reversed to a usual drug pathway, I was just kind of fascinated anyway and then got to experience it firsthand. So, you know, I think the, the cannabis really had a great, um, played a great role for mum for a good period of time and then it had run its course and it wasn't, you know, particularly useful towards the end. Um, And so, you know, I think after that major life event of losing mum who we're really close to um, and faced with, you know, what do I do with work? And we really had a lot of time talking about what heyday could be. Like we decided to go into product and clinic. We went into product because there was a huge lack of products available in the Australian market at the time and we really wished we'd had access to a whole range of products that Jim just couldn't access. And I think... um, you know, I was really surprised looking into it how there was a lot of competition and a lot of people selling the same stuff, thinking this is, this is this is interesting and potentially not sustainable, but our whole product philosophy is around being true to plan and that means really getting the best of the product to every patient and we're big advocates for the acidic cannabinoids, the minor cannabinoids, We believe in the entourage or the ensemble effect and I think there's some really great evidence coming out Around that, putting putting it head-to-head with isolates and seeing much better patient outcomes. So we we wanted to dive into product development from, from that angle. And then on the other side of our business, we we decided to like integrate Jim's existing practice into a broader heyday clinic and, and build up a, you know, organically build up a small, sustainable little team of real. Healthcare experts in the field. So, you know, GPs that have chosen to specialize in cannabis medicine, it's not something that you can just, I mean, you can do it on the side to a degree. And we do believe that every GP should have medicinal cannabis in their toolkit. Um, But, you know, building a team of really smart, smart doctors and nurses who can look after the most chronic, complex patients, we get a lot of referrals from specialists and. Um, you know, find that actually it's often those chronic complex patients that respond to cannabis the best, and that's kind of the angle with our clinic. So, you know, started working in earnest um, on Hay Day, a good year and a bit ago now and loving it. We've got a fantastic team and some really great other co-founders, and I think one of the things that maybe helps set us apart is that, you know, the four co-founders and our Cornerstone investor are all have sort of deep health expertise and and a background in health so our other co-founder Sam Holt has um, started several telehealth companies he's a real health entrepreneur Um, he was a founder of GPTU and then like has also founded a remote dermatology business and then our cornerstone investor Dr Andrew Wilson's a practicing psychiatrist he's also the CEO of health services at Medibank and so he kind of came down the cannabis rabbit warren with us quite deeply before he decided to get involved in the company. But having someone like him is, you know, a credible specialist spokesperson for cannabis really having a role to play for some of those, you know, chronic pain um, psych patients he sees that are on his list each day and that he knows, you know, what I have in my toolkit is not the answer like there are alternatives and i don't necessarily want to be the the psychiatrist prescribing cannabis but i see a real role for it for for this sort of patient demographic i look after is really validating that we were on the right track
0: that's great yeah Um, so much wisdom actually like when we've looked at the team i know there's just a lot of people excitedly entering the space and and we love Mm. it but i think heyday yeah you've got so much expertise
2: in that team um so that that's great to see but yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say you know how did you this came a long way for a year and a half but now when you talk about that it makes a bit more sense uh i think when you put it in context but it's um it's all too. Yeah, into- thanks.
1: That's nice to say, Mitch. It still feels like we've got a hell of a lot to do,
2: but. Oh, it feels like that for a, a lot of us. Yeah. Um, but it's um it's an all too familiar uh, scenario, the one you described. You know, the the really heartfelt story about your mum. That's something that unfortunately. We hear a lot that that type of story and, and, and people just not having either access, knowledge or awareness, um, you know, in in some situations, the, the, the finances. And then also a lot of people do end up going through the entire rigmarole of each of those sections, you know, learning about it, paying for it. And basically, you know, the stigma as well. And at the end of it, they get a product that doesn't quite do the job and, Knowing the full potential of this plant, it's it's really mm. dis- disheartening and and disappointing. Um, you know, not yeah, just for the patients but for everybody.
1: Absolutely, I completely agree. And I think you know, there's a real need to promote true full spectrum products that that I think we believe certainly have more therapeutic power than you know the isolates on their own. I think you know, it's really interesting looking at now building up the evidence base, although I, you know, believe there is a strong evidence base already, like never, I mean, just this whole role reversal of the product being made available um, prior to all the, all the RCTs being done. um, You know, we have a wealth of observational data, like, you know, we've got a hundred thousand patients we have got use all around the world. It's got a really like amazing safety profile. So Unlike other new products, there is a lot more data there to start with, and I don't think you know we should be discounting all that real-world data, really strong observational data, um, and just saying, "Well, there aren't enough RCTs that have been done yet." Because you know how we want to develop product, and how you guys obviously like have a focus on you know true full-spectrum products as well, is that you um, you know you so far from looking at just one cannabinoid like we're hoping to get all as many good as many of the goodies in our in our final products as possible but then to design you know a double blind rct around you know this you know it's so far from a single molecule drug and then it's working on a system that you know has such broad sweeping effects in the body and all the things that the ecs regulates like having just been you know very involved in clinical trials over the last 10 years and you know, working with researchers, a lot of the researchers at the MCRI got NHMRC funding to validate clinical trials that had been done by big pharma for different conditions in kids. And I mean, you can't replicate clinical trials. (laughs) You know, you can do the same study protocol 10 times over and you get different results. So this sort of real, um, you know, RCT is the only valid evidence is a farce anyway, I believe. And so i you know, they do need to be done, but I think it's it's a tricky thing to do, particularly with something like cannabis that is such a diverse medicine in itself and it works on a system that we are, you know, still understanding how it works. So I think that will happen over time and I think people are going to be more comfortable doing that with isolates, which is a shame because I don't believe that's as therapeutically potent as, as a fuller spectrum medicine. Mm. Um, but I hope we'll get there in
0: the end. And you think about the yeah the fitting the single molecule in a clinical trial context just is so much easier. Uh, the more different cannabinoids that form part of a a test medicine, the more variability you might have. Um, but it's almost like we're we're sort of applying this um, older framework and and you know trying to put plant medicine mm. into it, and it's not not really. Um, the the cleanest fit really is it? Um
1: no and I think I mean I've had a lot of exposure to this because when we were doing digital health projects at my old work, we um, you know, we did get a couple of our, you know, tablet app. We built a tablet app for psychologists to assess social skills in kids and it was really relevant for kids with ASD. And we went down the path and we got that registered as a medical device. Um, And you know, when you're looking at doing trials to validate registrations, you know, the digital, how digital interventions work, like you get the data a lot quicker, you can get feedback quicker. And we we worked with the researchers to kind of mould what, you know, a standard single molecule drug RCT could look like in a much faster digital intervention and how we can still kind of hold it to the same standard. It was a really... Interesting process because there's so many, um, there's so many like set expectations around like how an RCT has to look and feel and smell. <laughs> and so just challenging that like really, you know, deep sort of set in stone um, understanding of what like real true evidence is, is, is super interesting. But I think it is a changing certainly like the whole clinical trial center at the Murdoch Children's talks a lot about doing, like, real-world trials because it's also incredibly expensive to do those more old-fashioned RCTs.
0: Absolutely. It's actually... And
1: while you wait, in the usual case, patients are not getting access, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're on this, like, eight-year journey to build the evidence. And so I think that's, you know, really fortunate that cannabis is this anomaly that has become, like, widely available and is becoming more available as the bottleneck of doctors is expanding and more doctors feel comfortable bringing it into their remit of practice. But um, I'd feel, you know, really uncomfortable if it wasn't available right now, because it does have a, have a role to play.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that I think the tide is turning and has for a while now with more and more doctors giving up the stigma and, and sort of um, at least even maybe hearing from colleagues about the success that they might've had in their clinical practice treating patients but there's there are still a few doctors who sometimes get a bit of a platform in the news and the media to to really tell us how you know these products shouldn't be trusted because they haven't gone through all the randomized controlled trial benchmarks and do roll my eyes because we just hear from that many people um you know to varying degrees but there's there's clearly anecdotal evidence available um that that supports um, people at least um, considering it for, for clinical practice yeah
1: and and really well designed observational studies which mm. you know if you were just trying to rely on one or two observational studies with an N of a couple of hundred patients fair enough but mm. there's a lot yeah, there's- <laughs> and then there's like the hundred thousand plus people in Australia you know using it you know legally through a prescription from their GP who's monitoring them and keeping them on it because it's working so you know I just think it's it's just so I almost think, you know, in a way because it was made legal through patient advocacy largely, um, I feel like that's actually in a way heightened the stigma because what we know is we've got 10 to 15% of people going to CGP asking about cannabis. So the doctor's already, you know, being challenged to consider it. Um, and we've got, you know, really loud advocates, which is good and sometimes a little bit overwhelming.
2: Yeah. Um
1: and yeah, it's just it's just a a real red herring in terms of just how you know a schedule eight medicine would naturally come into the hands of a doctor to be prescribed. It's complete role reversal, and I think that's really challenging for everyone to wrap their heads around.
0: Mm. But you've got yeah. the whole, um, I don't know, just looking at your your background, working at one of the. Um, you know, biggest IP um, boutique law firms in the country. Well, I don't know if I'd call them boutique. They're pretty big. Um, they were a bit but...
1: more boutique when I was there. But... <laughs>
0: um, but you've kind of, you know, I guess you, your um, knowledge base comes from, yeah, uh, understanding how intellectual property in this space can be, um, you know, commercialised, but then also um, understanding all the regulatory hurdles that patients have mm. to get through. Um, do you think we're moving in the right direction? Do you think patients have a much better chance now and, and are you know, going to have a better chance in future than, than what it was like when your mum, say, needed access for her palliative care?
1: Yeah. Um, the number of authorised prescribers, I think some key regulatory changes by the TGA last year is is reducing the administrative burden on doctors to prescribe, to be able to prescribe. And I think that's just, you know, I can't overstate how key that, that is. You know, you look at the traditional GP clinic, you know, bulk billing clinic, seven-minute consults. Like, I mean, a doctor can't even do the paperwork for one patient um, for a script, kind of a script in that in that time. So until we put it on a somewhat level playing field to just other prescription medicines, it's always going to be considered a you know, a specialist area, for want of a better word. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still a real need for the specialist cannabis clinics because, you know, the endocannabinoid system and and plant medicines is not on the curricula for for GPs in training. I think we're a long way off it being on the curricula, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of doctors getting into it at doing sort of self-directed education and speaking to colleagues who might be touching it a bit more and I just feel like in the last four months there's been a bit of a like the tide is coming and I think that's really exciting certainly we spend a lot of our time um and you know under the helm of Jim as head of the clinic who's you know got a lot of obviously experience prescribing but is passionate and you know incredibly I hate to say as my brother but incredibly smart and just really passionate about the plant and he's you know, a great educator. Our head head nurse, Cam Rosin, is just a, a wonderful young man who's also just a great educator. Um, and so we really want to play a role in educating others to feel comfortable to bring it into their, into their sphere of practice. Um, I mean, it's been really interesting, just maybe the last month and a half, we've interviewed five GPs to come and join our clinic and it's all being instigated by them. There's a lot of you know, I think there's a lot of burnt out GPs from COVID who have spoken to colleagues or who have started, you know, doing their own research into plant medicines and um, a lot of people doing sort of lifestyle integrative GP training now, I think in a way that they just weren't maybe five years ago. And so, you know, a lot of the feedback's been, I really want to start playing in a space with my medical career that's um, I don't want to say like helping people because, you know, I'm not saying what they do doesn't help, but in a more preventative sense and just getting really meaningful patient outcomes. And um, I think a lot of doctors are craving that really being able to make a, an impact on someone's health yeah. as, you know, earlier on in the piece. And, you know, doctors, like that's what they signed up for. So I think if you get stuck in a, you know, reactive hospital setting, like a lot of there, there's some some dissatisfaction there and I think there's a real opportunity to bring some great doctors across into to being sort of cannabis experts and we're excited to, to do that and kind of put in the time to induct and train, you know, these new GPs properly into the complexities of cannabis medicine because I think we certainly believe at our clinic that it's really not just about access, um, you know, doctor-led care every step of the way through that treatment journey is really key to getting a good result you know it just does, does not end at the script we have nurses that support along the way and and check-ins with the doctor because so much of the magic is done at that four or five week review appointment where you tweak you might change a few things you really understand you know like the dosage regimes just so personal, has to be so personalized. It's amazing that one person with the same medical condition can respond to, you know, 0.2, 0.4 mil, and then the other needs far more to get the same results or a completely different product. It's just, it's, you know, like it is, it is, it is a complex field of medicine. And I think any doctors entering the space should be doing that under the mentorship of a, of an experienced doctor that can give them the time to understand all those little nuances.
2: So how do you how do you actually navigate that with a, a doctor and to tie in kind of some of the stuff we've talked about already? How do you um when you think about you know we go back to the randomized control uh, trials from before in, tr- in traditional uh, trials you'll try and isolate the molecule that has the effect so you know like paracetamol for example but in cannabis there's so many compounds uh, it's it's some might argue that's why it's been so difficult to actually draw you know the, the same conclusion each time because each time you get a Absolutely. different strain you get a different effect you know one makes you sleepy one makes you alert these kinds of things um how do you navigate that for a doctor who's just kind of a little bit you know let's say green to it all and <laughs> yeah. and oh, is um and is uh, is looking to say well like what do i just it's, is cannabis cannabis obviously we know that there's different forms um but how do you take on a new doctor and really describe that to them
1: yeah, well, I think, um, you know, at the moment in Headed Clinic, we've got two great doctors, Jim and, and Dr. Priya Ayer, who's was an experienced cannabis doctor in her own right. Um, and so I think we're still working up all our, like, induction material that will train up these new GPs to understand the complexity. I think, like, a lot of it will be learned. Um, like, we certainly are not a prescriptive clinic. We don't say to our doctors these are the only medicines you can prescribe like we're very cognizant of the fact that we're a product and a clinic company um and really frown down upon the clinics that only push their product I just think that's just such a inherent conflict of interest that should be transparently and openly managed so happy to talk about that at any time but you know um I think a lot of it is those new doctors shadowing our experienced GPs and just um, working through, like, the different case studies, understanding, like, so our doctors have a fortnightly clinical roundtable where the difficult cases are discussed, you know, treatment options are thrown around. Um, It is a process of trial and error, which is why coming back for your review appointments, tweaking, um, you know, recommending additional supplements like we recommend lots of you know um compounded magnesium and pa and there's some there's some great things that can be synergistically working alongside the cannabis so yeah great question which i like we haven't got the golden rule book that we can give to each in i wish that existed in cannabis i just don't think it does and you know we certainly encourage our doctors to be up to date with all the latest products coming out because um you know, having a having a vast range of products to pick from with each pay for each patient that's very
0: different important. That, it's it's also like just looking at the quantum leaps in in knowledge, even from the last mm. 10 years. I assume that's also part of the appeal for doctors who might be feeling a bit yeah, burnt out, vaped out. I don't know how to describe them, but they're <laughs> just getting to the end of this last two years and thinking, you know, maybe. I've gone through med school, maybe I've, you know, to some extent, you know, uh, I've kind of been institutionally captured and I'm, you know, been sort of boxed in and this is what I will do for the next 40 years. And
1: Yeah, the pennies dropped a bit more because we've had like the challenges of COVID disrupting the normal. And I think like it's made Mm -hmm. telehealth really appealing. Like that's become such a mainstay. I mean, COVID has just catapulted telehealth 20 years into the future of where it would have otherwise been and that's a really positive outcome of COVID but I think too you know doctors are really certainly the ones we've been talking to it certainly assessing like the system in that like how can I actually get a great patient outcome in a seven to ten minute consult you know how can you even really get to know anyone in that time so so we do sort of 30 minute um initial consults which is still not long enough for a lot of the chronic complex patients we do see but i think if you can you know find a way to financially run a clinic that can offer like that really deep level of care from the outset you're putting yourself in a much better position to get the patient a good result than maybe a bit of a tick and flick type model
0: yeah which is
1: more band 80 rather than Getting to the root cause and trying to find a personalized treatment regime that really works for them.
0: Well, I'm going to throw a curveball at you because one of the um, and I don't know if it's in the purview of heyday, but in terms of getting to root cause of people's problems in the mental health arena, we know about the evolving field of psychedelic medicines and you know being alt med we've got time for all alternative yeah. medicine um yeah. and i guess yeah that that's another field that i you, you talked earlier about doctors who um there's there's this kind of renewed interest in integrative health and, and actually you know um being a little bit more involved in a patient's recovery journey from a given condition what um yeah what's your sort of take on on that field is that something that you guys is cannabis going to be the gateway drug for for heyday um,
1: <laughs> um good question we've certainly been following what's happening with the psychedelics and psilocybin and and i guess mda may but you know psilocybin in particular like we've got a shrink in the team who's you know very keen to see how it progresses he certainly doesn't believe that mushies are going to get sent out in the mail anytime soon like cannabis does that really it's much more of an assisted therapeutic tool but certainly has a has a place mm. um yeah i think you know i've listened to a few interesting podcasts where cannabis experts have talked then about you know the range of opportunities that something like mushrooms presents that's even you know less well understood than cannabis and mm. i think it's really exciting to be working with these highly complex natural products. Um, so, listen, we haven't got any plans to go into um, psilocybin anytime soon. I think we'll be watching with interest and, um, yeah, that's probably...
2: No, no, it, yeah. I
1: do believe it's a valid, valid area to be to exploring therapies it, in.
2: It is int- interesting, you know, being in, in the industry and thinking about, you know, <laughs> how the split between the kind of altruistic side of, of medicinal cannabis or, and, or psychedelics, but we'll talk more on the, on the cannabis side for this one versus, you know, some, and you hear this from patients all the time, especially on forums and the rest feeling like the current system is extortionist in, in in terms of it's very expensive for the average person. um, It's not accessible. And, Reconciling that with the actual cost of doing business within the industry, you know, speaking to yourself, do, do you, how do you deal with the fact that some people view cannabis as a get rich quick scheme? Yeah.
1: Example? Yeah. It's, um, it's super interesting to see the diversity of like backgrounds from people that have come in and are playing in the product or clinic space or both, um, you know, and some of the crazy, Money that's been raised and, you know, following some of those companies that have done crowdfunding campaigns that have closed out a couple of million dollar raise in hours is, you know, obviously there's people seeing an opportunity to capitalise on the hype around cannabis. Um, I think, you know, much like you guys, we haven't gone and raised lofty amounts of money. Um, Like we believe that... We want to grow sort of organically as the industry matures. Um, like, you know, there aren't millions of people there to sell product to and it's certainly like a healthy amount of competition. So so offering something different, um, you know, in both like a clinic setting and a product setting is really important for longevity mm-hmm. right now, I believe. But, you know, I think, um, you know, if our regulators were a little bit more proactive, would probably sort, you know, through the weeds a little bit quicker. Um, but I think just naturally as the, the industry matures, you know, the people that are in it for the right reasons and have built like a solid foundation for their business will, will still be swimming. Um, but I think, yeah, organically growing as the demand is there, um, like thoughtfully putting out products that actually work and have have data and evidence behind them, and that are, you know, as you say, like financially acceptable for patients. Like the cost is obviously, obviously massive. Um, I mean, I think it's only a matter of time until we have more products registered, and then we're looking at PBS reimbursement, which is going to be so important to bring it into the mainstream. Um, and it's important we like go through go through those steps as an industry. Um, but you know all the challenges presented by developing the right sort of data set from a trials perspective to get those registrations is going to be challenging, and we might see you know products that you know we and I think you guys believe are probably less therapeutically um, active as some of the first being registered because they are isolates, and it's been a bit easier to to build a clinical trial
2: phase one, two, three study around. Um, hmm. Well, it brings to, to light this kind of concept which we've um, kind of tapped on the edges of um, in the podcast, which is this concept of quality and what, what determines quality. And, and um, the traditional view is, you know, st- sterility, um, especially in medical markets, um, which absolutely sterility is important, especially if you're going to have, you know, immunocompromised people taking it, it, it whatever types of patients taking taking medicine, you always want it to be as sterile as possible and meet the meet the standards. Um, however, we've held the view as well that there's more to this particular plant than just sterility um, and that in, in some isolated cases, that process of sterility can actually compromise some of the active compounds in, in, mm. the, in the cannabis itself. Um, what's your take on that kind of viewpoint?
1: Yeah, so... Um- that's a really good observation and I think you know in Australia we are very um, conscious of you know things like s- sterility in particular but I mean I think it's um, troublesome that you know the requirements around sterility are radiating all products and just the current manufacturing extraction techniques available to us you know the main ones being CO2 and ethanol like really, I think we need to start using more like extraction technologies that is more sympathetic to the plant because in those two mainstream extraction processes, the plant, you know, essentially gets blown to smithereens <laughs> um, and a lot of the goodness is is lost and a lot of the compounds that, you know, you guys and us really believe are sort of important to getting the most valid, you know, therapeutic outcome are lost. Um, and so... I think there's a real balance there that's needed, but I think probably it hasn't been challenged that much to this point because most cannabis companies are really just laser-focused on the CBD and THC content of their products. Um, and I think, you know, as the industry matures, then I hope that we will employ more sort of innovative, extract, use more innovative extraction techniques to um, to sort of sympathetically... Get the cannabinoids out of out of the plant, um, so they're more complex and and full spectrum. Um, because you know we do believe that the patient outcomes are better on on those kinds of products. So um, yeah, the best of the plant in every bottle is ideal. And I mean, certainly at Heyday, we have a you know we have a large focus at the moment as we work on. Our R&D side of bringing out a new product range that is, you know, true full spectrum and that's in the works on flower because it is, you know, what can be more true to plant in a way than the, than the flower itself. Obviously, like in you know, a vaporizer, depending on how you heat, how high you heat it to, like there are terpenes and other and other compounds lost. But I think flour at the moment is a is a great way to get a more full spectrum product than a lot of the oils currently available
0: yeah and then the but then the flower you know you have these like gamma irradiation processes because the you know the the threshold for microbial load for a given plant is quite quite low in australia yeah other jurisdictions and so we've
1: actually worked with our grow partner to do pre-imposed irradiation coas on some of our flowers to understand exactly what is lost and it was wasn't as wasn't as bad as we thought it could be so um that's good i mean that's somewhat it's a tough plant in a lot of ways isn't it yeah um but i think certainly you know as we i think you know we're working with ECS botanics who who grow um our products and they're growing sort of exclusive strains for us right now but as we get to feed into the the grow and harvest process and you know um just even, you know, some of the simple steps that can be taken in curing and some of the more quirky ones to to preserve some of those more unstable cannabinoids and, you know, particularly keep the acidic versions of CBD, THC intact is um, something we're really keen to just continue to persevere at because I think what comes out at the other end is a much more full-bodied complex medicine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I... I just curious about um yeah the so in terms of you were saying before those clinics that do offer their own products i agree there is a conflict there um yeah so at heyday you know just for any prospective patients out there they know that the doctors are agnostic with respect to they're just really interested in finding the best quality product for, for patients which might be you know, have a rich cannabinoid, terpenoid, flavonoid profile? Um, is that sort of where you guys see yourself positioned?
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like the clinic, um, you know, like is symbiotic to our product business, but it's they're independent businesses in their own right and they they should be like they both need to wipe their own face for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, and certainly like we believe to attract the best doctors that have really engaged in uh, wanting to practice the complexity of cannabis medicine to then dictate what products Mm. they can prescribe is sort of very counterintuitive to that. Um, You know, like because also Jim's obviously the head of our clinic and is involved in the product company. You know, we make it very transparent to patients that if they don't feel comfortable about that they can just say no headache products or they can see the other doctor or, you know, I think it's just we've got to own these these conflicts. And, um, you know, more so because there's lots of them there that aren't being managed appropriately and there's not that much transparency with patients. So, you know, we have had lots of patients coming from other clinics who have had one thing pushed at them and that's got suboptimal results for them. And that's just, I mean, these are people that have been on a, you know diagnostic odyssey with really complex conditions that have you know found some someone that they think would work and then it's you know it's again been a disappointment with the healthcare system so um we really hope to change that for patients
2: uh, i have a um question and i it's perfect to ask this question in the presence of two lawyers but um speaking about the and we touched you mentioned it earlier the stigma around cannabis now how how do how do you see that at heyday? Because you know, I can imagine, you know, both of you going through the corporate uh, realms of of law would have, you know, if you if people knew you were uh chuffing on the grass or something like that, you know what I mean, that that kind of um that kind of ethos, how do you think it would have been received? Well, let's say back when you were a lawyer at the firm. Um, Phoebe, and how do you think it is now? And do you think we're going towards a place where people are going to feel more comfortable um, with cannabis in general, medicinally or otherwise?
1: Yeah, I hope so. So, I mean, like you sort of mean, if I was at my law firm 10 years ago and was talking to my employer about having been prescribed, how they might manage that.
2: Like, how how do you think, um, you know, is it something that, say, a professional... um, you know, maybe somebody who is suffering from a condition that would be dealt with well by cannabis but is in a position like one of you guys, for example, have been in, in at a law firm, which is generally more conservative. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think there's room to, you know, be able to be open about the fact that you're receiving cannabis therapies in, in that kind of world?
1: Oh, good question. I mean, I think it's so dependent on the culture in your workplace. Um You know, there can be really progressive HR teams at what you would imagine to be pretty clunky old organisations and then the role reversal. Like I guess I've sort of thought about how would we be dealing with it at my research organisation if I was still there advising the head of HR around the legalities. Um, I'm glad I'm not there having that conversation, to be (laughs) honest, in a way. Um, But, listen, I think... I think it's really interesting, you know, certainly just telling my story about what I do now to anyone that you might meet. Um everyone has had some touch point with cannabis. There's been a friend of a friend, or I think it's just got to the point where, you know, people's understanding of it being used medicinally in some way is like at the same level to, you know, all those old memories of, you know, whether it's the the law partner or the, the doctor you know in their 20s going to a party and smoking a bit too much and thinking well how can that thing that gave me that you know terrible feeling the next day ever be used as a medicine I think that's kind of fading as we just hear and we see in the media and you know people are a lot more exposed to the medicinal properties of of cannabis and I think that only just builds and gets legitimized over time as more and more doctors offer it to patients you know certainly I know locally where I live in Trentham in Victoria which is you know our little heyday headquarters um you know there's a great local GP looking after 30 patients in our little town alone and I think you know it's probably like being destigmatized at the community level which should feed into the workplaces but the workplaces will probably be the last to definitively sort of call it one way or the other and I think like I understand the reservation there a little bit because there are a lot of people you know using cannabis sort of for quasi medical quasi recreational purposes or fully (laughs) recreational I think there's you know some legitimacy around that but there's certainly lots of people that are that are abusing it and you know to just blanketly agree with that as an employer is is fundamentally a a tricky thing to do so I think everything on a case-by-case basis I hope that employers are, are more and more open to having that conversation and understanding like the genesis of why an employee might be on cannabis and if they're doing under the under doing it under the guidance of a of a you know GP a trusted GP like I don't think that should be an issue unless it's really affecting their ability to work but it's just so interesting because you know People aren't, um, you know, people aren't called out if they're on a whole range of other, you know, prescription medicines with all sorts of side effect profiles, um, you know, in a way that cannabis doesn't impact you. So I just, you know, everything from the driving laws and, you know, the fact that the drive change campaign has to exist because, you know, people can drive around off their face on opioids, but um, they can't use a little bit of... (laughs) you know, balanced oil for their anxiety. I just, yeah, it's mind-blowing.
0: It's a double standard. I'm kind of curious, maybe, if um, your recollections of uh, working in private practice and, you know, thank goodness we we got out. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't too uncommon on a Friday afternoon to, you know, to have a, a drink at your desk and, you know, maybe uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future, people might be... Um, Having a, a Friday afternoon vape, but uh, but I also wonder whether I or think not that
1: would be probably a pretty bal- healthy, balanced thing to do. Oh, I agree.
2: Yeah, um... I was going to pull you up earlier when you said you know doctors that maybe smoked something earlier, and they thought, how did I wake up the next day feeling like that? And I'm thinking, what's the next day? What what feels like that the next day? <laughs> Are you talking about? <laughs>
1: well, you know, just you know, I think it's interesting. <laughs> I think there's a life. I just feel like there's a lot of doctors that have yeah, you know, yeah, had a joint just... in school and have yeah well, um, sure.
2: That's their only experience with What's cannabis, the, but it's the, it must have nice. been the the hangover from all the Tim Tams they ate or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, um, the other thing uh, I guess other
0: side of um just thinking about your question, Mitch, was the you know, just the fact as well that 10 years ago in, in you know, all the all you know, in private practice, there was no such thing as being able to have um medicinal cannabis clients. And so that whole landscape changed. So I just sort of thinking 10 years ago, if you'd sat mm-hmm. with your graduate cohort, Phoebe, and told them all, you know, in 10 years' time, I'm gonna be running this medical cannabis clinic, they'd all just be thinking, Really? Is that is that well, she's smoking? Yeah, what's she? Yeah. But um mm. but you know, and and I assume your old firm and I know mine, um, my old firm does, but they they're, you know, they're interested in this space because they see plenty of, um, of opportunities to help clients with, um, with commercial ventures. Um, so it's, you know, it's the, the landscape's changing. I would be surprised almost if they weren't, um, exploring, um, opportunities to help clients who are, who are in the even newer, uh, foray of, of psychedelic medicine. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's certainly opportunity there. I mean, I think I, read the MTP Connect report on the industry, I think it was commissioned, like done in part by Deloitte, but it was really like very factual and just interesting sort of um, like a forensic kind of accountant. Tim, I guess, projecting where the Australian industry is going. And I think, you know, you'd imagine that report to be relative, relatively conservative, but the projections are still sort of, you know, in five years Five to five to eight years, we, you know, might be looking at like 800,000 medicinal cannabis patients, like active patients in Australia. And um, you know, we're just it was just a reminder that we're just still so on the precipice. Like it's such early days, the tip of the iceberg. And I think people in the industry, like with a view to being it for the long term, are sort of excited by where it will go. And it will take time and it will take effort and will take education of you know, the whole medical fraternity and breaking down that stigma by ensuring good people are in the industry presenting the right face of cannabis, which I think is not necessarily being done as well as it could be being done. Um, And we have, you know, that really beautiful complexity of the plant amongst all these product companies. So it's not just it's all the same, same, and no one knows really how to differentiate them because there isn't much difference. Like the doctors are all confused because, you know, what are the differentiating factors? Um, so, I, like, I think we are genuinely excited about where it's headed and I think as more and more patient numbers grow, we'll see that stigma come down. We'll see acceptance from doctors. The research is happening right now. There's some great studies. There's more, you know, every week really. It's highly, highly researched and it needs to be, like, there's over 100 conditions that the TGA have approved it for so I think just even just how diverse it is in the in the diseases that it can be useful because what cannabis is it's a real it's a side effect management tool Um, and you know it works really well for chronic pain and that's just a side effect of so many core conditions so um, you know building the evidence base to prove its utility and what the appropriate dosage forms are and what cannabinoids might work best for certain indications. It's going to take a a long time, Um, but I think we're lucky that it's available to patients right now and we can hope that in the process to get all these various products approved for various clinical indications where we're looking at the real-world data, we're capturing the data from all the patients, legally accessing it right now and and getting good patient outcomes like that is valid um, and needs to be fed into the you know, the clunky old process to get to ARTG listing. But I yeah. think anyone, any cannabis company in the field that's not sort of, you know, thinking and understanding that, you know, in eight, ten years we are going to have a whole range of, of cannabis medicines on the ARTG and that the SAS, you know, Unapproved Medicine Scheme that's currently available will whittle down as that happens, um, you know, there's a need to invest in sort of validating your product and building that data. And, you know, if only you could do a clinical trial and, and have it approved for a whole range of conditions, wouldn't that be good? But yeah. hopefully there's a leveraging of the existing data out there to, to make that happen a bit quicker.
0: Yeah, exactly. If it, yeah, if it's helpful for, I don't know, yeah, for anxiety, then it should be valid evidence perhaps to, maybe using it in a sleep trial. I'm not sure, but no. it's. um, And I think the first product that'll probably get on the ARTG is going to like, you know, easiest pathway would be an isolate. So I still feel like there's going to be a lot of people kind of saying, oh yeah, okay. You can get an isolate over the counter, but you know, if you want a really good um, true full spectrum to use that term, um, then you're going to need to um, go and see an authorized prescriber for the time being. But yeah. And I,
1: ho- I just hope that when there's a couple of isolates listed that the, the whole SAS AP scheme isn't shut down, like, you know. Oh, yeah, think,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: You know, because there will be really great medicines there that patients are reliant on that, you know, where the evidence has been built. Um, So, yeah, it's going be really interesting to see it play out. Like, I think one of the things that, keeps me really engaged with working in this space and kind of, you know, realizing that I'm very like have veered a long way from the path that I thought I was on is it's just really interesting. There's mm. so many quirks to being in this unique field of health. Um there's so many benefits, there's so many challenges from the regulatory to the access. Like it's just um
0: I was going really to you and I are um- yeah, you know, one of the few or two of the few that that know the rule book. So um, you know, lucky us. Um no, no yeah, disrespect, yeah. Edge. I've I've taught you a few things along the way. You've taught me some things. <laughs> and- I mean,
1: it's it's sort of crazy to me how many cannabis companies there are who like aren't from health who don't ha- necessarily have like some legal regs, expertise. Like it can be learnt to a point, but it's very heavy on the reg side. There's a lot to be understood. You know, there's obviously a lot of companies that don't understand the TGA advertising guidelines or are just flagrantly breaching them. Um, Yeah, Andrew started
2: developing mouse calluses just around here. So (laughs) it's been heavy on the clicking. (laughs) Very,
0: very funny. Um, Well, on that note, (laughs) thank you, Rich. No, um, but Phoebe, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. We're really um, you talked about, um, yeah, there are you know the definitely those who are in it for the long haul to see um the, you know the cannabis industry in australia be the best it can be we know you're a part of that um we like to think of ourselves as part of that so we we have no doubt we will continue to um to cross paths we might even get you on for another episode if we can talk you into it at some point in the future but um
1: Love to anytime
0: yeah no thank you and it's yeah best best of luck with everything at, at Day, We're we're obviously super interested in, in everything that that very knowledgeable clinic is doing. So um, yeah, big supporters and um, yeah, we look forward to uh, to speaking again soon and, and all the very best. Absolutely. Thanks guys.
1: And,
2: and we will, we'll be getting Jim on for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, you've got to interview the rest of the team.
2: Um, absolutely. Awesome. 100%. Look forward
1: to connecting again soon.
2: Indeed. Absolutely, It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: All right, guys. Have a good Cheers. night.